This week we're going to continue in Matthew 16, where Mikey left off last week. He did an amazing job. Uh, so let's pray. Let's start this off right. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the guidance that you offer through it. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me to, to just say what you want me to say, that your spirit would speak through, through me. And uh, Lord, we're grateful that, um, that you occupy those who follow you and, and believe in you and can profess your name. And, um, and so we pray you bless this time, that you would teach us and uh, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Matthew 16, 13 is where we're going to pick up. Um, so one of the things I like to do is kind of just take it verse by verse. So we're, we're going to do that together. Uh, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So um, one of the things that I, I was like, well, why did Jesus ask them this? And, and did some research, and, and I still don't know. But except to say that um, maybe he was just trying to set the record straight with everything that he was about to say. Um, and so uh, he said, who, do they, who do they say I am? They said Elijah and possibly uh, Jeremiah and John the Baptist. Um, and, it, and I find it kind of ironic that some, some folks were probably more likely to believe that he was a prophet come back from the dead than he, that he, was, the, than he was the Messiah who was going to come back from the dead. Does that make sense? Just saw an irony in that. And there were a lot of people in the first century who, who thought he was a, a prophet or a, a good teacher. And um, same goes for the 21st century, that uh, you know, 85% of Americans say that that Jesus was a real person, that he actually walked this earth. Um, 55 or 52% say that he was, he was a good teacher, just a good teacher. Um, and, and even in Uganda, when we're, when we're uh, registering kids at their homes, we'll go and we'll talk to the parents, and, and um, we always want to tell them that we're there because we love them and that Jesus loves them, and that's why we're there. And some of them already know who Jesus is, and some don't. But either way, by the time we leave, we want to make sure that, that they do. But sometimes you'll say, uh, uh, do you believe in Jesus? And they'll, um, or um, more, more like they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm born again. And we'll say, uh, oh, so you believe in Jesus? And they'll be like, who? And it's surprising, right? Um, or they'll say, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Catholic. And we don't know what to do with that too much, but... Um, it's a different culture, or, you know. Uh, so who is who's the Jesus that you believe in? And, and uh, so it reminded me of C.S. Lewis' book, um, Mere Christianity, and it, he said um, that you, you can't really say that Jesus is a good moral teacher or a, a prophet because he didn't, he didn't leave that option on the table. He, he was either a liar, um, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord, Son of God. And uh, by, by saying the things that he said, um, you know, you can't say he was a good moral teacher when he said he was the son of God. That's not, um, that's not good moral teaching, is it? Um, and he proved who he was. And so uh, I think uh, C.S. Lewis said he, he would either be a lunatic on the level uh, with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. And he just didn't leave the options open for that. And so we know, of course, that, that Jesus is Lord. Um, but then he, then he turns to the, to the disciples in 15 and says, but what about you? He asks, who do you say I am? And you here is kind of directed at uh, them as plural. And, um, and it's no pressure, no pressure, but everything uh, now and for eternity kind of hinges on your answer, right? It's, 
that's the way it is. Um, so who do you say he is? Who do you act like he is? And we're going to talk about that a little bit too. Um, but Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this is the first time we see the apostles actually uh, profess who Jesus is in the Gospels. Um, because who you say he is determines everything about him. Uh, everything about him is what you want to be, right? So if you think he's just a good moral teacher, you're going you're gonna to kind of follow him once in a while and listen to him. If you think he's a prophet, you'll, you'll, you'll give him your ear. But if you believe he's the Savior, that should change everything about how you live your life how you think and act, how you worship, how you pray, how you live. Um, and in 17, Jesus responds to, to Peter, who has his ups and downs, by the way, like us. Um, and we'll see some of those here. Uh, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, but my father in heaven. So Jesus wants to make it clear to him that it's, it's by... Um, divine revelation that Peter figured this out. He didn't just figure it out because he was a, he was a good thinking man, um, right? It's, and, and actually the grace of God is really the only, only way we can know um, the love and the grace and beauty and behold the purpose of Jesus' life. Uh, in John 6, 44 through 45, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. So you could say a, a biblical argument could be made that really you're, the only way you're going to know about Jesus is through the, through the revelation of God. And he also reveals it through us, uh, through our evangelism. Um, in fact, the only reason why we're even here together as a family is, is through God's love, right? Now, I brought, a, I brought a, uh, an illustration, a picture. We'll see if it can if they can pull that picture up. I'm getting this. That means a minute or a second. But uh, okay, so that amazing picture, um, that's me in the middle with the sad look on my face. I was very, very sad. And that's my twin sister next to me. And that's the way twins work sometimes. One's very sad, the other's very happy. Um, so the whole, the whole thing about you know feeling each other's pain, no. So... <laughs> So I was on this, this was like 1970-something, okay, and um, I was on an all-star team and a baseball team. And uh, on that day, right before that picture was taken, I figured out that I was only on this team because my dad was a coach. <laughs> Look at me! I was so... I, I mean, I remember, I saw this picture at my mom's house. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. I remember that moment, okay? And to, to, to figure out that you are, like, you're not all that. You know, you're not an all-star. Um, I, I wasn't an all-star. I, I just had a dad who was willing to coach, all right? And boldly put me on the team instead of somebody with talent. However, the same feeling I have there, I have the opposite now. Because I'm on a team, I'm in a family because my dad is the, is the coach, right? And so uh, he could take that look off my face because now I'm like, I don't deserve anything that I have. Um, I don't get to, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any part of it. Um, in fact, uh, sometimes I compare my, my life, you could take that picture down unless somebody wants it. 
It's not worth anything. But it's worth everything, really, because it, it, it has taught me my, my whole life now. I, I can sit back and go, oh, my gosh, I have a greater appreciation for the, the family that I get to be a part of because of who my dad is. And then we all get that. We don't deserve it. In fact, I, I've, I've sometimes compared my life to a, a flower, okay? <laughs> and um, God provides the, the, the pot, the dirt, the water, the sunshine, yeah, the rain, and uh, my my contribution is fertilizer. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't have a lot to offer. <laughs> okay, but through uh, the profession of my faith and and knowing that Jesus rose from the dead in my heart, I know that I know that I'm on this team uh, because of Him. So, um, so <laughs> that was just a, I don't know if that was a sidetrack or not. I planned it, so I wasn't really. Um, so in 18, and I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, this is Jesus talking, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So you are Peter. Peter is Petros, rock. Petra is the feminine, and also Brian Black's favorite band. Um, so, am I wrong? <laughs> um, Jesus isn't implying any, any kind of church structure or anything like this. That He's just promising that he's going to establish a body uh, under him of believers who hold God as the sovereign um, father and, and, and work under God's kingly rule. So he's, he's, so he's not saying it's going to be structured this way or we're going to have the first, second, third church of Christ on the corner. Um, he's, he's just saying, I, I got you, and, and I'm going to establish it under, under you. Um, he did promise the church's indestructibility, which is a pretty, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty helpful for us because um, we, as as humans, have a tendency to kind of mess things up once in a while, or all the time. He says the gates of Hades. We'll find the exact thing. Will not overcome it. Uh, the gates of Hades is sometimes referred to as the gates of hell or the power of death in the Jewish culture. Um, the funny thing is I've always thought this as like, okay, yeah, so it, when, when the devil comes after the church, God's got us, he's protecting us. And that's true. But gates are a defensive mechanism, right? Gates of, gates of hell. We're talking about the gates that, that would protect hell or protect death. And um, they're largely defensive. And so when you think about it, the, the gates of hell prevailing against the church isn't the, isn't the gates of hell coming after us, but us going after the gates of hell through Jesus' authority, right? We're on the offensive, and sin and death is on the defensive. That's what he's saying. He's not saying to sit back and relax in our, in our churches and wait for, wait for the devil to come to us, which he does do that. He's saying, I, I, through my authority, I'm giving the power over death to the church. We overcome death. We don't defend against it. We overcome sin. We don't have to defend the church. Um, so let's go, right? Um, and being, being a part of a church, if you think about it, is not like joining a club. There, there are eternal ramifications to joining a church, to being a part of the church that Jesus talks about. It, it comes with um, a profession and, and, and those ramifications. But I think all too often, uh, particularly in the U.S., uh, joining a church kind of looks kind of like joining a country club um, with multi-million dollar buildings and um, awesome programs, of course. And uh, 
logos and merch and uh, just all the commercialism that kind of comes with it. And that's not what Jesus was intending. It doesn't mean that he can't work through that, okay? But, um, you know, we, are, we, have a, we have a purpose. And that purpose is not wound up in creating more members. It's not growing membership. It's growing the body of Christ. And there's a huge difference. And if our focus is on growing membership and luring people in that way, um, we're not doing anybody any good, particularly not considering their eternal soul. Uh, years ago, I saw an Easter uh, production ad on Facebook. It was for a church in Vegas, which, yeah, uh, <laughs> I know they're there. Um, and that, so it had this kind of amazing, amazing program. And um, there were like people dressed up like pterodactyls and stuff. And, and I was just shaking my head. I'm like, that doesn't seem like what, what Jesus was wanting to instill in Peter. And there was a comment there uh, that a, somebody said, a lady said, and it was actually one of the most profound things I've, I've read on Facebook <laughs> or anywhere else. She said, what you win them with is what you win them to, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what you win them with is what you win them to. And we have to be careful as the church not to do to the church what, um, what they did to the temple. Because it just kind of, kind of leans that way, you know. It's human nature. But with the commercialism and everything, the awesome worship albums that, that are out there. Um, we have to be really careful. And, um, you know, I kind of imagine um, Jesus going into some of, our, some of our churches in the U.S. and overturning tables in the bookstores and the coffee shops and um, kicking those fog machines <laughs> over, you know? What are we doing? Um, and I'm grateful, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to say that we're perfect here. Because we're not. And just when you think, we were talking earlier, just when you think you got it right, like Peter, you don't. Um, but we're, we want to do our best to just let the word be the word and, and gather together as people who, who uh, just want to worship God together and understand the concept of what the church actually is and does. Um, so the business of the church, if we go to James 1, 27... James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Um, that's what we're fighting against, is our own desire to be polluted by the world and look like something that Jesus didn't want us to look like. Um, so um, Jesus goes on to say in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. So um, I grew up Roman Catholic, and um, so I'm not going to talk too much about that, but there's a lot of justification in this passage for, for some of the things that, that they say um, that they do as an apostolic succession from Peter as the first pope and, and moving down from there. But this isn't about the authority of Peter. It's about the authority of Jesus. It's not about a supreme pope. It's about a sovereign God. And, um, and he says that, there, that I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, this, this, one's, this one's kind of controversial because uh, everybody's got their own opinion on it. And, and um, of course, I do too. 
But um, you think of keys like from, from Isaiah, from opening doors, closing doors. And, um, but we hold the keys to the kingdom because we are able to evangelize and tell people and show them how to get into heaven. We can also say, if you don't do this, you could end up in hell, right? And this morning, uh, it was a good illustration. I, I came in and um, um, there were some folks here waiting who didn't have the key to the building. And um, so I had a key and I could let them in. Or I could call Nathan and say, hey, this is how you get in. But it doesn't mean that um, I personally, um, you know, as Jesus was talking, I personally am going to have the power to say, you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven, you're not. But I do have the power to share the information that gets you into heaven. And if I don't do that, it's, it's pretty urgent that we do. And those are the keys, I think, that he's talking about, that, that the keys to, to bind and loose. We have the keys by saying, look, this is how you get to heaven, all right? Don't just say the prayer. You're going to have to live a, live a life that, that follows Jesus. Um, or to say, and binding on earth, look, if, you, if you're not careful and you don't follow Jesus and listen to what he says, if you think he's just a good, a good teacher and not the Savior, you're going to have some trouble. And so the urgency and the priority of our evangelism, I think, is what's made clear in this, in this passage. Um, and so Jesus goes on to say uh, in 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so they were like, wait, what? Um, and, and so Jesus, believing that he would be killed, was, probably didn't require a lot of revelation because they, tried, they, they talked in Matthew 12, 14. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. But, but saying, it takes more than a logical thought process to, to say, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. Um, he doesn't explain the use of the word must, like... Um, he said he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But he does see that later, um, it counts for it in Matthew 20, 28. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So um, I think the, the apostles were a little bit surprised to, to hear this, <laughs> right? Um, like many, I'm sure that they thought that uh, the Messiah coming was going to rescue them from Rome and free them uh, from their bondage there, but um, obviously Jesus was, has had a hard to, to, uh, to rescue them from, and all of us, from the power of sin and death. So Peter took him aside, which I can't imagine, but uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And part of me would be like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, never mind, Simon, <laughs> I forget what I what I said there. But Simon doesn't realize um, that Jesus is going to have to suffer before that church is established. And his followers would have to do the same. And so, um, you know, when um, he just hasn't conceived of a, of a suffering Messiah yet. And um, so Peter's like, no way, no, absolutely not. So, you know, just when you think Peter's getting it, he, he actually wasn't. But the thing is, um, Jesus responded to him 
And we know how we know how he did that. He said, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, he's not saying Peter's the devil or possessed or anything like that. He's just saying that Peter's perspective is more worldly than, than, than godly. And because trying to, to thwart God's plan for Jesus' life is not the role of a disciple. It's the role of the devil. And so that's all Peter was saying. He represents, that, that, or Jesus was saying, that Peter represents the opinion of unredeemed humanity and not um, God's will. And get behind me is similar to what he said to Satan in uh, the desert, Matthew 4.10. A similar temptation there. Um, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So that was a pretty harsh rebuke, uh, I would say. Um, Peter would get get back up on the mountain, literally, uh, in the next few verses. But um, I think it's a lesson for us. And not just as uh, Peter kind of represents for me that that we can we can do this, <laughs> right? We can do this. We know that Peter goes on to to deny Christ three times, um, and so we know that we know that Peter gets it. Um, but um, still at this moment, probably not the best, the best time for him. So then uh, Jesus said to his disciples in 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So take up your cross is, is metaphorical for us because we're not really under the, the threat of carrying a cross. But for these guys, um, it was far more likely impossible, especially um, as Jesus was doing it himself. There, the threat of literally being crucified was far more prevalent then than now. But um, self-denial means putting God and his kingdom uh, ahead of us and his priorities, um, which is so countercultural to where we are today, Right? I mean, we live in a culture where advertising says, you deserve a break today, or you deserve, uh, get that pampering you deserve, or that sinus cleanse you deserve, or whatever, you know. Um, I don't know why I said sinus cleanse. But you deserve luxury and pampering, okay? Um, but the pursuit of happiness is a constitutional right, not a biblical right, okay? And if, if a church, if we're talking about a church that is concerned about pampering you or taking care of you or making you comfortable, how is, that, how is that following in line with the way Jesus says that we're supposed to live our lives? Um, it, just, it just doesn't work. I mean, we're supposed to be different. So um, anybody have the answer for what we truly deserve? Death. Uh, Romans 6.23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that that's not a seat filler, but it 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 does get people in the kingdom, right? <laughs> I mean, you need to know where you stand. You need, you know a greater need a, a greater awareness of the fact that we are dead without Jesus does give us a greater thirst and need and hunger for him for him, right? Um, and any preacher or prophet that'll tell you that you deserve anything but better than death, you know, your best life now stuff, um, is lying to you. 
you need to run, okay? They're not, they're not considering building up the kingdom. They're considering building up their church, their building. And that is not the way to get people into heaven. That's throwing away a key right there. Um, we, we said James 1.27. I'm going to read that again. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Um, you want to look and see how the church is supposed to behave. Let's look at Romans 12, 1, 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Gary's talking about this. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if you... If you still haven't gotten it at that point, um, Jesus in Matthew 25 says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to, to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So getting rid of your, uh, putting aside your self-righteousness, Self-indulgences, everything you think you have, everything good that you think you have that belongs to you, desires, ambitions, dreams, hopes, possessions, getting rid of all of that. That's your best life now. Following Jesus is your best life now. This is how we find it. Galatians 2, 19. For, though the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the logic of Jesus' statements is based on the fact that we're, we're around for eternity. And all that other stuff is squeezed between your fingers. The life that you, you get here is you can't even get between your fingers compared to eternity. Living for eternity is, is what we should be doing and all that other stuff, whether it's in a church building or wherever, is just a distraction if it's not proclaiming the life that, that God wants us to live as his, as his followers. Live for yourself and you'll die. 
die to yourself and you'll live. It sounds really simple, uh, but it's, it's not. It's not just saying a prayer and, and saying, all right, I'm in. It's a life. It's a lifestyle. In fact, um, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is going to come in Father, his Father's glory with his angels, then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So glory awaits, but only after suffering. Um, and Jesus says what they have, uh, reward each person according to what they have done. This is um, literally his, like his practice, okay, the things that we practice. It's the sum total of our lives, um, our life viewed as in its entirety. So what are we practicing, right? What, what is the sum total of our life going to look like to, to Jesus? And I know that it's more, and we, we can joke around, it's more than um, every time I drink a Coke instead of water. It's, it's not that simple, okay? This is about living a life that puts everything you, you are, what you think of yourself, aside and putting Jesus in that, in that position, that's where he wants to be, and that's where, where he demanded to be. So anything that looks, like, looks different than that is just not biblical. And that's a hard thing, to, uh, hard thing to say and a hard thing to stomach because we don't really get it right, do we? Um, we try. Um, but what are we practicing? And if we're not practicing this, then we need to get to it pretty quick because you don't know when, um, when your time is up. Trust me. So um, Jesus said, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Uh, this is also a little bit controversial because they're like, well, some of these guys, they're all dead. Okay, so, so what, what does he mean? And it may be just as simple as, um, even though it's kind of cryptic, it may just mean that he's talking about um, what's coming next, the transfiguration which is kind of a little foretaste of the resurrection. And so um, it may just be as simple as that, that James and Peter and John are going to go up on that mountain with, with Peter and, or with Jesus, and they're going to see, get a little taste of what that resurrection looks like. And then Peter does mess it up too, but that's, that's for, I think, Ken to talk about. <laughs> um, but Peter does later say this in Second Peter 1, 16 through 18, is referring to the transfiguration. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the, the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So, glory will come, suffering first. But the suffering is so minuscule compared to the glory that comes later. And, uh, and any, anything that, that teaches something otherwise, you just got to just pray for discernment. And um, that's the best life that you can live, is to follow Jesus. And it doesn't, doesn't look like what you think. If, it, if you think it's, there, it's uh, money, power, it's, you know, seven mountains, I mean, it's just living a life that, that honors God. And so, who do you say he is? That's the question of the hour. Um, 
Who do you say he is? Who do you act like he is? Because that's, I mean, that proves that you know what you're, <laughs> what you're saying when you say, I know who he is, because you're living the life. What are you going to do about it? We can, do, we, we can do a lot of things about it together, corporately, and that's what the body of Christ is. Um, what you do about it between now and Sunday, the following Sunday and the following Sunday, whenever else we get together, um, remember what he said. Remember that he's, he's basically saying, this is what's coming. And this, that, that moment there where he said, uh, from that point on, Jesus talked about his suffering, that's, that was the rest of his message. It was all preparation for the cross. And we need to be ready for the cross too. And it's not, um, it's not waiting for, for somebody to come and get us. It's going out and, and, and storming the gates of hell and, and going to Uganda or, or Nicaragua or wherever, wherever God would lead you, to your neighbor's house. It's, those are the gates that we gotta, we gotta go through and conquer, so... Let's pray. Pray for the church, uh, the body of Christ worldwide, and, um, and pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this body that you have uh, created. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you, Lord, for, for showing us the way. Letting your word be a, a lamp into our feet, Lord, and that you would guide our steps that you would guide our directions, that you would guide our, uh, our next step from here today, uh, whatever that may be. Lord, help us to have a greater awareness of the life that you want us to live. And we start by getting out of our own way that, that we, just, we just don't want to focus on our own comfort anymore. And Lord, I, I confess that I want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. But I also don't want anything that would, would stand in your face and say, uh, oh no, Lord, not that. No, not me. Because the last thing I want to hear is your voice telling me to get out of the way. Help us, Lord, to always represent you your word, that we would not take the, the, the keys to the kingdom uh, and, and the possession of those keys and the binding and the loosing that, that, is, that is going on here on earth, that we would take them seriously, that we would sh- tell others about you, that our evangelism would be motivated by the authority that you've given to us as the church. Help us, God. Help us to live the lives that you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.